In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome to this, the eighth in the series of Crossing Over the Bridge at In Discussion. My panel today, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Professor William Tiller, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Dr. Scylla Elworthy, and Nassim Haramein. Dr. Edgar Mitchell, on January the 31st, 1971, embarked on a journey into outer space that resulted in becoming the sixth man to walk on the moon. The Apollo 14 mission was NASA's third manned lunar landing, and this historic journey ended safely nine days later on February the 9th, 1971. It was an audacious time in the history of mankind. For Mitchell, however, the most extraordinary journey was yet to come. Scientist, test pilot, naval officer, astronaut, entrepreneur, author and lecturer, Dr. Mitchell's extraordinary career personifies humankind's eternal thrust to widen its horizons as well as its inner soul. His academic background includes a Bachelor of Science in Industrial Management from Carnegie Mellon University, a Bachelor of Science from the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School, and a Doctor of Science in Aeronautics and Astronautics from MIT. He's also received many awards and honors, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the USN Distinguished Medal, and three NASA Group Achievement Awards and he was inducted to the Space Hall of Fame in 1979 and the Astronaut Hall of Fame in 1998. He was also a nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2005. After retiring from the Navy in 1972, Dr. Mitchell founded the Institute of Noetic Sciences to sponsor research into the nature of consciousness as it relates to cosmology and casualty. And in 1984, he was a co-founder of the Association of Space Explorers, an international organization of those who have founded space travel. Professor Emeritus William Tiller, Fellow to the American Academy for the Advancement of Science, of Stanford University's Department of Material Science, spent 34 years in academia after nine years as an advisory physicist with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. He's published over 250 conventional scientific papers, three books, and several patents. And in parallel for over 30 years, he's been avocationally pursuing serious, experimental, and theoretical study of the field of psychoenergetics, which will very likely become an integral part of tomorrow's physics. In this new area, he's also published an additional 100 scientific papers and four seminal books. Recently quoted, For the last 400 years, an unstated assumption of science is that human intention cannot affect what we call physical reality. 
Our experimental research of the past decade shows that, for today's world and under the right conditions, this assumption is no longer correct. We humans are much more than we think we are, and psychoenergetic science continues to expand the proof of it. Dr. Brian O'Leary, scientist-philosopher with over 50 years of experience in academic research, teaching and government service in frontier science and energy policy. He was a NASA scientist astronaut during the Apollo program, the first to be selected for a planned Mars mission and participated in unmanned planetary missions as an Ivy League professor. Over the past four decades, he's been an international author, speaker, peace activist, founder of non-profits, an advisor to progressive U.S. Congress members and presidential candidates. His latest book, The Energy Solution Revolution, describes the enormous potential of breakthrough clean energy technologies, their suppression and their logical necessity for our survival. Zero Point vacuum energy, cold fusion, and advanced hydrogen and water chemistry could provide us all an abundant future for all of humanity. In 2004, he and his wife, the artist Meredith Miller, moved to the Andes in Ecuador, where they co-created Montesuenas, an eco-retreat and educational center dedicated to creativity and the rights of nature. Barbara Marks Hubbard has been called by Buckminster Fuller the best informed human now alive regarding futurism and the foresights that it's produced. Widely regarded as his philosophical heir, Barbara Marks Hubbard is a social innovator, speaker, author, educator and leader in the new world view of conscious evolution. My fifth guest, Dr. Scylla Elworthy, founded Peace Direct in 2002 to fund, promote and learn from peace builders in conflict areas. Awarded the Best New Charity at the Charity Awards in 2005. Previously she'd founded the Oxford Research Group in 1982 to develop effective dialogue between nuclear weapons policymakers worldwide and their critics. It is for this work that she was awarded the Nuano Peace Prize in 2003 and nominated three times for the Nobel Peace Prize. She helped found the Market Theatre in South Africa in 1976, long before it was legal for multiracial performances to take place, and has since worked with playwrights and directors, including David Edgar and Max Stafford Clark to engage the public in political theatre. From 2005, she was advisor to Sir Richard Branson, Peter Gabriel and Archbishop Desmond Tutu in setting up the Elders' Initiative. And later in 2007, she was appointed a member of the World Future Council and the International Task Force on Preventative Diplomacy. She's designed the leadership course in Conflict Transformation for the said business school at the University of Oxford and is also co-founder of The Pilgrimage, a 24-hour intensive course that enables participants to make major shifts in consciousness and perception. She's also the director of programs for the World Peace Partnership, a five-year program underlying the World Peace Festival series 
the first of which will take place in August 2011. My final guest today on Crossing Over the Bridge, Nassim Haramain. As early as nine years old, he was already developing the basis for a unified hyperdimensional theory of matter and energy, which he eventually called the Holofractographic Universe. He spent most of his life researching the fundamental geometry of hyperspace, studying a variety of fields from theoretical physics, cosmology, quantum mechanics, biology and chemistry, to anthropology and ancient civilizations. Combining this knowledge with a keen observation of the behavior of nature, he's discovered a specific geometric array that he's found to be fundamental to creation and the foundation for his unified field theory that has subsequently emerged. In the past 20 years, Nassim Haramein has directed research teams of physicists, electrical engineers, mathematicians, and other scientists. He's founded a non-profit organization, the Resonance Project Foundation, where as the director of research, he continues exploring unification principles and their implications in our world today. The foundation is actively developing a research park on the island of Hawaii, where science, sustainability, and green technology come together. Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Professor William Tiller, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Dr. Scylla Elworthy, and Nassim Haramain. Join me on Crossing Over the Bridge. Welcome to this, the eighth in the series of Crossing Over the Bridge at In Discussion, this historic program that brings together the panel Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Professor William Tiller, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Dr. Scylla Elworthy, and Nassim Haramain. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. David. Greetings, everyone. Bill Tiller speaking. <laughs> I do hope that I didn't miss anybody today in the introductions. What about Nassim? Yes, I, I heard his laughter. He had to be here. <laughs> well, thank you again. It's a great privilege to have you all here on the panel. The program is a continuation of the last program, and today privileged to be joined by Barbara Marks Hubbard and Dr. Scylla Elworthy. We previously discussed a narrative, and that was developed in conjunction with the wonderful support offered by Professor Bill Tiller and Dr. Brian O'Leary, in the area of those Greek terms, Lycos and Mythos, relevant during this epoch, I think, uh, through which we are all traveling, I'm sure. A rebirth, as defined by Barbara Marks Hubbard in her work. I'd like to begin with yourself, Barbara Marks Hubbard, as we explore the way in which the world is turning. And as we see that chaos in the Middle East, we see the need to place our attention to the pursuance of that peaceful, just, and sustainable world, as John Perkins so well puts it. How do you view the establishment in turning away from the present energies and the fossil fuels 
that are so dreadful today towards a cleaner future in order to meet those aforementioned goals? Well, I think what I can offer here is a context. And if you take the evolutionary perspective on this particular set of crises, you will see that crises is really nature's tradition when the time has come to create some higher order, some greater synergy, some greater consciousness. In other words, crisis precedes transformation, and problems are evolutionary drivers. And it seems to me that the set of crises we're facing are, are quite natural to a species on a finite planet that didn't even know it had much of an environment 50 or 60 years ago. When I graduated from Bryn Mawr, I was told that uh, all the problems had been solved. In other words, there was no sense of what was coming. And so I look at this set of crises as a planetary driver toward the birth of a co-evolutionary, co-creative society. And when you look at it from a perspective like the astronauts had, they, they saw Earth from space as one body. If we take that same perspective and look at the noosphere or the thinking layer of Earth or the social systems on Earth, what we see is that all the old systems, all the top-down models are breaking down. And we also see innovations, creative solutions, not fully capable in energy, health, education, business techniques. But you find, if you look for them, that the crisis is producing innovations everywhere. And I was just writing up this whole thing to to do a, a curriculum on this subject. And here's my thought of how we could best make the shift in time. The, the real drama here is we don't have much time to make a shift, and I believe the only way we could make it fast enough is by a very rapid, nonlinear connectivity of that which is already emergent, that which is creative. That is to take the Internet capability that's almost there and have as one of our strongest purposes to create the call for what's working, how to connect it, and to invite people to place within that what they want to create. I think it's an uprising of creativity, love, and consciousness. And I, I believe by picking certain target dates, you might say like a social lunar landing, to say by such and such a time we want to have this much convergence of what's emergent, we might very rapidly be able to find ourselves in uh, a convergence zone. And that would be considered a planetary of awareness that we are one, we have the capacities if we connect that which is creative within us and within our own innovations. It's all right closely here. Let me turn to Dr. Scylla Elworthy. Your response and thoughts to Barbara Marks Hubbard's comments. I can underline what Barbara is saying and respond to the question by my observations in the field of conflict prevention and conflict transformation. When we surveyed the number of bottom-up initiatives that were springing up in conflict zones in the year 2000, we were able to identify about 300 viable initiatives. If we were to measure that same um, phenomenon today, 
it would have increased some five or six fold. In other words, there is like mushrooms coming up through concrete. There are locally led peace building initiatives happening in every zone of conflict throughout the world. This is, a, if you like, a spontaneous set of initiatives by the people, for the people, to resolve their own problems. What they're not getting is support to do that. In. So that's what we're setting out to provide them with. But the phenomenon is the most interesting part. Dr. Edgar Mitchell, your response to those comments and thoughts again by Barbara Marks Hubbard and Dr. Silla Elworthy. I certainly agree that uh, the turmoil that's going on, certainly in the Mideast, seems to be moving in the direction of uh, establishing democracy in the place of dictatorships. <laughs> Conversely, as we watch what's going on in the United States, we see a, a movement uh, toward moving under more corporate control, and it's a different form, in my opinion, a different form of, it's not dictatorship, but it's a different form of control. And so we have these, as properly said, we have these big social movements taking place that have to result in some major change going on. And I think that's what we're seeing, and I think it's correct to see, say, that this heralds uh, a whole new uh, shape for civilization. And just exactly how it's going to turn out, we're going to have to wait and see. All we can do is hope that these uh, viable initiatives that are being presented start to mature here in due in short order so that we can make a little better sense out of it. Professor Bill Tiller, your response. Well, of course, I'm in, in sync with what has already been said, and I would put the simple, familiar example of a phase transformation occurring as the example that encompasses all that we're seeing, and that is that for such a thing to occur, you need a thermodynamic driving force for change in the material world. It's usually a supersaturation and in an excess thermodynamic free energy availability for a process. And once it gets nucleated, it may be nucleated in many places, in many ways, and at many times. And so the transformation of a material or many materials simultaneously occur to consume the thermodynamic potential and eventually certain morphologies dominate the transformation and certain phases dominate them. And as one begins to understand this kind of process, one can, in fact, apply specific fields in specific directions in such ways as to make a very controlled phase transformation to make actually remarkably superior material that we use the example today, the best one would be silicon, I suppose, to make all the electronics that, that we have. It's, again, it's a controlled phase transformation. It is recognizing the forces that are applied to the system and timing their uh, sequence of development. And now we must add to the normal uh, forces that we have dealt with in orthodox, today's orthodox science, the forces of human consciousness and human intention, which have been neglected 
in any specific way in theoretical understanding uh, over the last 400 years of our scientific development. But I think it all moves us forward to a larger place in the evolutionary process of our world and our universe um, and other worlds and universes that we have presently no serious knowledge of. Now, Sim Harameen, that transformation and phases that Professor Bill Tiller talks to and the balance required between this established and conscious thought you know, of a new world, understanding and accord. What do you see as the principles or the principal elements on those areas? I, I totally agree with everything that has been said so far. And I, I think, you know, it's wonderful that we're able to uh, connect and discuss this way. And I think when we look at the Middle East, as, we, as it was mentioned a few times there, so as we, as we look at the transformation that's occurring in the Middle East, for instance, and as we analyze closely what's going there, going on there, I think a little bit like Bill Tiller was talking about, you know, it's a little bit like a resonator in which you keep adding more and more energy. Eventually the system will go into further and further chaotic modes. And assuming that the tensile strength of the system is strong enough, then eventually uh, as it reach a state of chaotic modes in which uh, it appears like it's going to blow apart, if it makes it through that transformation, if it makes it through that moment, it restabilizes at a higher frequency and at a higher mode of coherency again. And I think this is what uh, we're going through at this time in our history. We're reaching that state of chaos. And when we do an analysis, you know, of what's going on, for instance, in the Middle East, then we look at um, how did we get there, and we find that actually much of what's uh, occurring there um, and, and the need for people to liberate themselves uh, from dictators and so on is, is very much the result of our industrial era, of uh, the exploitation of oil on our planet and so on, and of a very specific agenda that has been pushed throughout the ages, throughout the years, and that has established very, uh, very strong uh, holds in those countries in order to be able to exploit uh, the resources and so on in a way that uh, served their interests. And I think in one way people are looking for freedom, a freedom not only in terms of their you know, personal and financial freedom and so on, but a freedom, I think, at a deeper level even if they don't even know so. They're looking for a freedom that encompasses uh, a freedom of energy, a freedom of, of being more harmonious with nature, being more harmonious with the universe, uh, of being in sync, of being connected, of being more in a holistic, connected humanity. And I think uh, that's really the, what the uprising is about. We're really at this moment, at this really crucial moment, where 
we have a choice to move into a new way of doing things, a new technology, a new way of seeing each other, a new way of seeing the universe and seeing ourselves. And, and this is a challenge right now, it's, and it's a wonderful moment to be alive for. Dr. Brian O'Leary, your thoughts on everything that you have heard thus far in the program from the panel? Well, it's been quite a variety of thoughts, and, and by the way, it's, I, I'm just honored uh, that you, you've joined us, Barbara, and, uh, and Ed, and Bill. It's been a long time, and Scylla, welcome to this discussion, because I see this as a very important process that we're going through now, which is basically sharing our, our thoughts uh, in a short period of time, of course, on such important stuff. I've always thought that design is a very important concept, and it's one that I know, Barbara, you're very familiar with. Um, just to uh, quote Buckminster Fuller, is that the only revolution uh, is a revolution in design. Not that we have to have everything fixed, and uh, I remember being in this wonderful think tank with you that you put together called Design for a Positive Future. And I think that's what we need to do, but maybe in a way that, uh, that, that provides a very unique and interesting challenge. First of all, what is it that we want? Well, we, we, uh, I think with John Perkins, we're, we're kind of coming to a consensus that it's peace, uh, sustainability, and justice. And the sustainability piece, I think uh, that's the challenge I love working on because I, I am absolutely convinced that in principle, before a very long we're going to be able to have a truly sustainable future on this planet. And we can do it through energy breakthroughs, through all kinds of water technologies. Uh, there are just many, many things on the horizon. And so from that point of view, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just tickled and delighted to be speaking to you from South America, while the rest of you are in North America, Hawaii, and England, to be able to participate in this. Barbara Marks Hubbard, your thoughts on Brian O'Leary's statement talking to a future by design and also John Perkins in his view of a peaceful, just and sustainable world? Yes, I, taking peace, sustainability and justice, I'd like to say I think the way we'll achieve peace, along with all the very specific peacekeeping and peace-building initiatives that are so important, is peace through co-creation and synergistic convergence. And I like the word creativity to be added to this, because once a person gets to a threshold of frustration, if there is any energy left, there is a great impulse to express unique creativity, which is our own potential. And I'm, I feel that what we can do to invite people to express their creativity, to find partners, and to begin to realize ever more of their potential in chosen work that is actually the work needed by the planet, that we would find it's possible to include in this whole mix, a, a massive uprising of creativity. Professor Bill Tiller. It is that when there is this burst of creativity, it is an increase of information, a process in nature that is an increase of information content in our world. And we've known for about 60 years that if, the, if there is a process that develops that increases the information content of nature, then 
concomitantly, there is a quantitative decrease in thermodynamic entropy uh, in nature. And that then means it restores some of the wasted thermodynamic potential that was available in nature in the first place. And that's one of the things that we all can contribute to this planetary system just by being and thinking and doing and creating, but, but trying to make positive, enhanced information content in everything that we do by its very nature restore the thermodynamic potential of our universe. Dr. Silla Elworthy, putting that into context in terms of peace building, how would you take that discussion forward? Building on what you just said, I think what we're observing in the Middle East at the moment really is a rebalancing of the male and female, the masculine and the feminine, the yin and the yang, in that it's very remarkable that the methodologies being used are by and large nonviolent. They're using very well-tried and trusted techniques that were in use in Eastern Europe in the Velvet Revolution, particularly in Serbia. And in fact, they, many of them go back to Jean Sharp sitting in Boston. But the interesting thing is that it's those techniques combined with the connectivity of the internet and cell phones, but also with the emerging female voice in the Middle East. Now, I don't just mean women, but men being able to express themselves also without using violence. We all have and the male side. And we all have that. We all have both sides. But... I think what is so exciting about it is that people are reaching out to those who share the same values with them, regardless really of nationality anymore, and even regardless of uh, religious or ethnic convictions. And I think this is significant of a, I would even use the word a, a oneness, although it's probably not conscious in most cases, but a, a linking up between people across previous boundaries. Dr. Edgar Mitchell, your response to the oneness that Dr. Silla Elworthy talks to? All I can echo is what's being said here, that absolutely <clears throat> transformation to more service to the greater good, as I pointed out. And those of us, we men who have uh, traditionally been pulled into wars of one sort or another, have to be able to be ready to shift gears, as it were, and to look at the greater good that can be done by cooperation, by love, by caring, by being one, as is being pointed out. We have to look for unity and cooperation and ways to make this tumultuous situation that we're going through. and chaos series called a bifurcation point, or at least we're approaching a bifurcation point, and to make it come out positively and utilizing the creative skills and the cooperation and the unity that is inherent within us, but often we ignore. And that's the main thing, is to quit ignoring our downside so much and be creative and positive and try to create unity and cooperation with each other. Now, Sim Haramein, we 
discuss a singularity in the programs mm-hmm. that we share for the future. How do you view the coming about in that singularity, steering away from the dualities of this world, utilizing a far higher sense of consciousness for those in the Middle East, certainly a topic today, and elsewhere who are attempting to travel through this chaos. What, in your view, is the mechanism that makes or ensures that that occurs towards a peaceful, just, and sustainable new world? Right. I think that uh, it's very accurate to define it as a balancing between male and female, between the more external and the more internal direction of, of investigation, the methods and the logos, and that balancing, uh, you know, produce this sense of union, this sense of unity within each individual, but as well the sense of unity between male and female, you know, on the planet and, and as a, you know, global community. And this uh, sense of unity, this sense of singularity, of connection, uh, is so crucial, and I use singularity loosely here, but but it could even be extrapolated to the physics of singularities and and the physics of curvature. Uh, as I see it, very much so, uh, curvature uh, of the structure of space-time is is very much the female, uh, the nourishing, the uh, creative behavior of nature, and as we become more and more aware of this uh, field of interaction, this field that connects us all, this field that we call space, or, the, or we may call space-time, or we may call the vacuum fluctuation, and so on, that is present, that, that has both aspects, that has the polarity within it, and we start to experience it within ourselves. It gives us a sense of peace, it gives us a sense of courage, it gives us a sense of power because we feel connected, we feel supported by the universe, we no longer feel separated and isolated and as we come together then our power becomes increased thousands folds and so on and we start to have a real impact on the form of morphogenic field of the planet and, and that impact uh, is as well part of us getting together here you know this possibility of us all being together at this time and being able to discuss this having dream teams of people like all these people on the call today being able to discuss these these things hopefully eventually being able to have institutions in which we can collaborate and bring forth incredible uh, new possibilities for humanity so I think I think it's very much relevant for each individual to reach that sense of unity within themselves, to reconcile the female and the male within themselves, and to find that, that singularity, that point, that center their existence, and that connects them to the whole. Dr. Brian O'Leary, this all points to the goddess, Mother Earth, and that significance, and our protection of them. How important in the scheme of things 
should this be now as we move forward? Well, I see it as the most basic priority because uh, Mother Earth is our home and we're soiling our nest so badly. About 10 years ago, uh, when I really shifted my consciousness to the environment, and by environment I mean not like the, the environmentalists of the Green Movement, God bless them, but they're, they're taking little, little uh, mini steps and what we need to do is take a huge step and I went through an emotional process about um, 10 to 20 years ago grieving uh, the potential loss of Mother Earth or at least Mother Earth as we know her and it, 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 went, uh, it was a very emotional process and in a way it touched my personal feminine and it gave me balancing that with my logos in my previous life as, as a, 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 a university scientist I was able to start to integrate it and find that we, we, we definitely do need both qualities. And the feelings of grief have, have now propelled me forward to look at some possibilities for the future, which are, are astounding, like free energy, things that could be developed under responsible management, of course, could be developed in protected research and development parks. It's not going to cost that much money. Uh, so we can combine our feelings with our, uh, the kind of actions we need to take. And we're going to have to take them pretty soon. So I, I'm really now feeling propelled and more integrated as a result of having had the experience of grieving Mother Earth. Dr. Silla Elworthy, this grieving process is something I hope that you will concur with, that we all travel through as we move from a do-consume material world into a new world. Are we seeing, in fact, this grieving across the world, this pain now emerging? Oh, yes, I think so. Um, and I think it's going to get a good deal worse, or, or shall we say a good deal deeper, not only in terms of social revolution, but also in terms of physical, natural, what we would call upheavals or catastrophes. So we're going to be going right back to, I think, what Barbara said at the beginning. We're going to be encouraged, obliged uh, by the universe to wake up more quickly for our consciousness to evolve much faster than it has up to date. And that is, by its very nature, a turbulent, painful process which involves fear, it involves grieving, it involves heartache, but it is the, the way through that is the way to finding a balance again, uh, finding a, a health and all the concomitant joy and brilliance that comes with that. But this is a phenomenal opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we have some very, very profound choices to make every single one of us on the way. Barbara Marks Hubbard, would you like to further build upon that, define that statement made by Dr. Silla Elworthy? I so deeply agree with you. I, I want to make an observation here about the, the male-female. I think one bioevolutionary event that has happened is started around in the 60s when we began to see we could not continue to reproduce up to maximum and survive. And the women's movement and all of that arose, but it's fundamentally a shift from maximum procreation toward co-creation. 
and what's happened inside the women who have the freedom to experience this, who are not abused or in totally <clears throat> servant positions, is that the creative drive is rising naturally. And the, I mean, quite a few movements of feminine power and women on the edge of evolution, where eighty or ninety thousand people will sign up, women, to hear about women on the edge of evolution. And I've begun to think, in that shift from procreation to co-creation, it's not just the feminine in its, let's say, its evolutionary form of the past. It's the feminine incarnating a creative urge that isn't going into reproduction. It's going into self-evolution and self-expression. And then this makes her yearn for men who are stepping outside of the patriarchy and the old social structures to partner with them. And it seems to me, at the growing edge of this, I'm seeing a new feminine and a new masculine emerge that probably is an evolutionary impulse. I I want to add to that, that in my work, I've been recently trying to map what actually is working And I'll just mention four or five categories. If you start with the response to what's uh, emergencies, like in Paul Hawkins' Blessed Unrest, he charted hundreds of thousands of organizations dealing with immediate crisis. So that's one. Secondly, if you look at the movement of spiritual and personal growth, and if you were able to map the number of teachers of mystery schools that have opened up, of of preachers who are going into the business world, into the military world, you'd see a huge uprising in personal and social and spiritual evolution. And then if you map social innovations in every sector of that wheel of co-creation, as has been mentioned here, and you would begin to collect those innovations, you'd see there is an emerging world here. And then if you add the quantum technologies or the disruptive technologies like robotics, nanotech, biotech, zero-point energy. I just was part of something called the 100-year Starship Study Group as to see if humanity built an intergalactic spacecraft, what would that require? And I began to be aware we're just mapping those edges from emergencies to emergences. We would be stunned at what's already emerging. And so the question is, what we could do to connect it and communicate it? And I feel a global communication hub that would continually be be telling the stories and bring it into the mass media and the scriptwriters of Hollywood, I've got a project going to, to try to help do that, is that we would be amazed at what's already here along with the intensity of the crises. So I just mentioned that. Uh, to to make the situation even more complex. (laughs) (laughs) Professor Bill Tiller, if we take all these ideas, values, theories, philosophies and prophecies, and align them with this traditional mechanical industrialized thought process that we've all been conditioned with over the last three or four hundred years as you had mentioned earlier versus that emerging evolutionary conscious thought that we see now how do we allow that to run its course devoid of any judgment against those still immersed in and hanging on to the old paradigm and moreover 
how do we help to steer away from this old world towards a future with clean energy, greater worldly consciousness, peace and true sustainability? Well, such a simple thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Basically, one of the metaphors I think that we have not put enough attention to today is, is the metaphor of coherence. Because what we're seeing, of course, is nature expressing itself. And we human parts of that nature becoming aware of this rich and wonderful complexity in that expression. And as we know that when we become coherence, coherent in a, in a way much larger than just energetics, considerations of, of love, of gratefulness, of forgiveness, of all of these rich human qualities that we all know about. It's sometimes hard to manage them all at once, but in essence, that's what coherence is about, is to bring everything into phase. It is to bring the male and female aspects of self into phase with each other. And in so doing, not only do we see that the energetics within ourselves go up, so there's more creative energy to function, but it is the deeper issues of love in, in, so, in so many, many, many forms and the beauty that comes from all of these expressions. If we can put ourselves in the perspective to, to see these as, as an effulgence of, of greatness, which does need to be harnessed. It does need to be managed. First, it has to be managed within each of us ourselves. And then it must be managed as we become coherent with another, and then another, and then another, so that you have this multiple coherence going on, and so that we develop the larger aspects of our group selves. And we now have the two beginning tools where we can measure those changes. We objectively measure them. The, the issue of the logos and mythos is that the mythos part, which has been neglected except for special individuals who come and visit our planet every few centuries or so, the, the mythos part becomes a future logos part because Logos ultimately must be there at all dimensions of the universe and all aspects so that we grow to understand all of these things and to integrate them and to see how to put them into service for the larger self and the larger planet and other planets and create a system in which the coherence of the system is growing all the time. Dr. Brian O'Leary, you'd like to respond to Bill Tiller? I might add, Bill, that um, uh, certainly we're aware of the experiments done at the Paralabs in Princeton and the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences, Dean Radin, that that there's a nonlinearity. In other words, when bonded couples uh, interact with machines, the machines have a nonlinear response, so it it, it moves uh, much, much more closely to pure consciousness. So these are all signposts that indeed what you're saying is that 
the resonance effect uh, can be nonlinear, very, very It can be very uh, nonlinear, and it, and it can have functional coordinate system representation that is not distance time dependent. And that's one of our big goals as far as the future is coherent, concerned when we try to cohere this situation. The human, the very human part of ourselves, the wonderful parts that are human, they don't appear to be distance time dependent. And therefore, a science has to be developed which joins with our conventional distance time science, which combines these two aspects. And there may be more as we evolve further uh, in nature that these expressions we are not connected to, we are not aware of, we have no way of painting them into the picture that we have been developing for the many millennia that came before. All of the things we're saying, I think, are very, very meaningful and very, very important. And, but we shouldn't forget the fact that our orthodox science has serious limitations, and those serious limitations have led to the kind of world we're in now. And the outputs of, those wor- of that world is showing us it is time to expand the perspective, which means we have to d- adopt a larger reference frame for looking at nature. Out of that will come all the healing that we're looking for in our planet, in our world, and the stability of the future world that will come from coming to realize these other dimensional aspects of, the, of nature that have to be integrated into our whole operational system, which ultimately must be mathematically quantitative and internally self-consistent, because ultimately things have to be engineered, to be engineered with great humanity. Nassim Haramein, your brief response to that. One of the possibilities to bring this, uh, and I think it was started a long time ago, and, and it's been in the folklore almost, uh, for thousands of years as well in terms of geometrists and so on. I think the key to what Bill is describing here, this step that we must take in our science and, and philosophy uh, to understand you know, a more nonlinear function of the structure of space-time and how you know, interaction occurs in our universe has to do with the holographic principle and fractal structures and understanding these principles at their deeper, in their deeper sense, understanding the geometry and uh, the dynamics that produces these uh, more holographic structures in which information can, is available almost instantaneously across very, very large distances without outside of the current paradigm of uh, time and space. And developing that whole understanding, that whole structure, not only based on uh, advancements in current physics and inside the box of the current physics community, but outside the box as well, meaning that like there's answers that can be found in ancient knowledge, in ancient culture, in very deep-rooted uh, instinctive notion, which is more of the female way of investigating, coming from more of a gut feeling and an intuitive feeling, and incorporating this geometry and this understanding to our advanced physics today. And I think there's a lot of really great work that's being done currently at that level, and it's very exciting to see it develop.
Dr. Edgar Mitchell, as we conclude this program together, how can people manifest a peaceful, just and sustainable future in this very changing world? It, it starts with an individual choice to understand what we're talking about, to understand that there are, are alternatives and to choose to be a part of it, to choose to look to the greater good, to choose to feel unity, to feel uh, love for the greater good and for the, the unity that we express and work with it. So uh, we're talking about choice and uh, first recognizing that we've got a problem and then choosing to help solve it. Dr. Brian O'Leary. Well, yes, we can have a sustainable world. The peace and justice part is, is a, a more difficult challenge, but I think we can physically have a sustainable world through the very judicious development, uh, research and development of uh, some of these options which are so exciting. Professor Bill Tiller, your final thoughts today. Well, I think one thing that individuals can do is work on themselves. And to thine own self be true, honor everyone else, but work on yourself by going within, go deeper and deeper and deeper, come into harmony with everything else, see it, feel it, sense it, and then one begins to grow. We're like a radio station. You grow in bandwidth and you grow in transmission power. We're always radiating what we are and be the best that you can be and, and offer the best you have to everyone else. And Barbara Marks Hubbard. A shift internally from identification with your egoic local self to identifying with your essence, your true nature, your higher self, and the process of gradually incarnating that as your essence, educating your own local selves, and then being able to see the other as that essential self as well. So it's an inner incarnation and then working with others in small resonant cores of two or more where people are practicing this together. It goes very fast when you can do it that way. And completing our program today with Dr. Scylla Elworthy. I would agree with what's been said and a way how to do that is to be silent and simply to listen and my understanding is, and the observation of many other people, is that right at the moment, if one can just be silent, there is a mass of information waiting and available in terms of how to access our higher selves. It's there and it's available, so all we have to do really is stop the internal conversation and listen. Dr. Silla Elworthy, thank you for completing the program. I would like to thank all of you today, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, Professor William Tiller, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Dr. Silla Elworthy, and Nassim Haramain. It has been an enormous privilege. I look forward to our next time together on Crossing Over the Bridge. Thank you. Thank you all. Much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. It's, it's, a great, it's great to be there. And to our listeners today, I do hope that you have enjoyed this very historic gathering as much as I. 
You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org or the official website crossingoverthebridge.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, be safe, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Come.